I'm going to share a story with you, and I want you to receive the story. No matter who you are, what your background is, or wherever you're from, this morning with, with grace, and listen, because um, I'm going to share it, because I want you to, to understand what I learned and the reality of, of just the world we live in. I was uh, hanging out with my family one day. My, my son Pierce was playing basketball. We were at a, uh, a gym that had tons of basketball courts, and it was after a, a game he had just finished, and we were hanging out with a family and, and talking, and um, my son Pierce and my youngest daughter Eliana, and so if, if you don't know my family, I mean, we're, we, we look a little different, um, uh, and simply by that is, is my daughter, and is, who's six, we adopted her, and she's uh, biracial, and so it's it's interesting. Ever since we've we've had Eliana, we've we've had to grow and learn some things that for in our own hearts and own souls. Um, so, you know, sometimes we walk into places and people will look at you differently and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard. It, it's made us kind of like think through some things and in just this world and and things that are reality. And it, it's caused us to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Um, of different shades and colors and ethnicities and, and what they might feel at times. And so um, one, one day we're at this basketball place, and so Eliana and, and Pierce, my youngest son, they're over on another court, and they are just playing, and, and then all of a sudden they start scuffling, right? And so because that's what family does, right? You wrestle and you scuffle. That's, that's a sign of family. And so... They're scuffling and, and pushing each other, and I see it out of the corner of my eye, and I'd yelled over there. I said, hey, listen, y'all, y'all need to chill. And then all of a sudden, uh, a lady walks over in, in, of different colors. She was, she was black, and she, she came over, and, and she was breaking it up. And so I walked over there, and so I'm, I'm thinking in mind, man, i got to get my son and my daughter because, yeah, they're, dad's going to say something to them, Right? And so I, I went over there, and, and, and what I engaged in that time taught me something. Because here is my uh, biracial, uh, black-white girl, my daughter. That's her color, right? And she is my daughter. And here is my very white, <laughs> blonde-headed son. And, and neither one of them are different in my eyes. Whether biological or adoption, however God gave them, to, it's the same. It's the same. But I'm not colorblind, right? Not colorblind. Um, and I walk over there, and, 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 and what happened in that moment, there was so much tension in that moment. At first, I felt offended. And, and, and like, and, and I was just like, hey, these, this is my son, this is my daughter, I'm their dad, and, and yeah, they're scuffling it up. I said, they're, they're, but this is what they do, and I was trying to explain, but it didn't go real far. And, and, and so there was just a, a heated moment, a heated moment. And in that moment, I walked away, though, and I, I'll just be honest with you, I, I, I felt just burdened. I felt burdened, because I was like, that's real, that's real. 
And what she saw through the lens and the eyes that, that she has was real, was real. And here I am, just dad. And I'm like, it's my son and my daughter, and they're, they're just doing what they, that's what they do. That's what they do. But I walked out that day, and I, I, I just felt this burden, this burden. Because in our world, man, we, we, we see just the hurt. We see the pain. We see the reality of racism all around us. And it's real. It's real. Um, and so today, I, I shared this last week as we talked about the sanctity of life and um, remembering that last Sunday and how we need to be a church that blows the trumpet for the unborn unashamedly. We also need to be a church that pursues and seeks racial harmony. And we need to understand what does that look like? What does that mean? And I think the Bible, and I think the text we're going to look at this morning, I think it's, it's one of those texts that just um, speaks to the, the tension, the hostility that shouldn't surprise us, right? It's, it's real. Um, but it should cause us to ask the question, how shall we respond as the church? And what should we be like? Um, I'm not a big news guy. I, I listen to a lot of radio news. That's what I listen to. I Actually, the TV, we hardly ever have news on unless there's uh, just a hint of a chance of snow coming. That's when I get crazy meteorologist guy. And, um, and so we'll turn the news on then. Um, and, and cable news, I despise it, can't stand it. Um, that's just kind of my beef. Um, but this week, my mother-in-law came and stayed with us, and she loves cable news, right? She loves cable news. She's a Democrat. Um, I would probably put myself uh, in the Rep Republican camp. I just gave a whole lot away there. Um, and so but, so, but we love each other. Her and I love each other. And so um, she, she's turning on. Uh, she's like, hey, can we, can we watch cable news? And my wife's looking at me like, don't do, don't do that. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. It's going to be great. I can't wait for the next hour. This is going to be awesome. And so we're sitting there, and she can't, you know, she, she, this, is, this is just this is enjoyable for her, enjoyable for her. And so we're sitting there watching, and we're talking, and, and her, her and I really are, are, have a lot of fun, and we can discuss, and it's cool at the end of the day. She still likes me and makes me fried pies and stuff like that. So we're cool. We're cool. So we're sitting there talking. But, but as I was watching it, there's some words that just came to my mind. And, and here they were, as I was just sitting there watching the news, I thought of these words. I thought of barriers, division, enmity, hate, hostility. All these words just, just I'm like, man, that's all I'm hearing. That's all I'm hearing. And it just took me this text today in Ephesians 2, because if, if you read this text, that's what is addressed, is barriers, division, hostility, hate, enmity, that is real. It's real. And so today, what I'd love to do is to look at this text um, and to see how racism is, one, offensive um, to God, and it should be to us. It's real. It's personal. It's, it's painful. It will be with us until Jesus returns, 
And so the question is, how do we as the church respond to the reality of it in our world? Ignoring it or being colorblind is not the answer whatsoever. And so God has something to say about it and how we as the church are to live together in racial harmony. He speaks to that. And so I want us to look at this. And so if you could, in chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, in Paul's word to the church at Ephesus, here is what he says. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And, and so here's what Paul does. He's going to talk about two groups. He's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about Jews. And so he's speaking uh, specifically here of the Jews and their position with God before they came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so who is a Gentile? Okay, The Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. And so simply what, what Paul is doing here, he's talking about two different groups in the world. Uh, the, the Gentiles are the Greeks, and so that's to speak of everyone else other than a Jew. And so now there was much strife and there's much tension between these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, due to their differences. And so we see their differences here in verse 11 to 12. This was the differences, and we see more as we carry on this morning. But, but here's what I want you to see. Even in their differences, I want you to know that they were more alike than different. And I think that's important to see this morning. And you might say, well, why? We, we hear and see their differences. Well, they're more alike than different. And here's why. The first reason is because God created them in his image, both Jew and Gentile. We see from the beginning, God created all peoples, all peoples. Back to Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. He created everyone, Jew, Gentile, black, brown, red, yellow, and white in his image. And you and I, as the church, we've got to acknowledge that. We've got to celebrate the fact that God made men and women in a variety of shades. And this is part of his good creation. And based on this truth... That means everyone in their being is equally like God in his image as an image bearer, based on Genesis 1. Everyone is capable of worship. Everyone is made with a divine purpose. Everyone possesses worth and dignity. And there is no differing degree to which one possesses these things based on gender, based on color, based on ethnicity whatsoever. And so we are more alike than we are different. Why? Because God has created us in the image of God. Whether Jew or Gentile, whether black or white, whether brown or red, whether you're from the Orient, whether you're from Africa, whether you're from um, Asia or India or Korea, whether you're from Mexico, whether you're from Canada, God's created every single one of us in his image. Not only that, we are more alike than different because we're all sinners, corrupted by the fall. In Ephesians 2, 
verse one through three, it says, you, Paul is talking to the Gentiles, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, Paul says, we too, us Jews, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh too, indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what is Paul saying? We're all screwed up. <laughs> we all are sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. But why? Well, Romans 5, verse 12, tells us this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And so we are more alike than different. Because God created us in his image. And because we're all sinners corrupted by the fall. And that's who the Gen- Jews and Gentiles are. But I want you to see here in Ephesians 2 how Paul addresses them. If you go back to that text there in verse 11, who does he call the Gentiles? It's a term that obviously we don't refer to people as anymore, but he calls them the uncircumcision. This was a term that was used by Jews to speak to Gentiles or of Gentiles. It was a term to ridicule them. It was a term to mock them. It was to put them down. And then he calls the Jews in this text, he calls them the so-called circumcision. That's an interesting phrase as well referring to the outward sign of circumcision that the Jews would bear, marking the sign of God's covenant between God and the Jews. We see that in Genesis 17, uh, specifically with God and Abraham. And so we see this. And so here you have Jews and Gentiles, the, the, the circumcision and the uncircumcised is what Paul, or the so-called uncircumcised, what Paul refers them to. Now I want us to think about this for a second. Well, what causes these two groups to be separate in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? What what causes the nations of the world to be separate in the first place? Go back and think in your mind to the book of Genesis. And if you think to, to Genesis chapter 11, okay, God brings a curse and he brings a punishment upon the earth, which is to separate the nations, okay? And you remember why? Because they wanted to be like God, Right? Not in the good sense that we want to be like Christ, not in that sense, but they wanted to be God, all right, like Satan, okay? And so what does God do? God responds and put a curse, and he separates the nations. And so you have the nations of the world that are separated, and so God does that. And so what do we see in Genesis 12? He takes one nation of his choosing, and he takes Israel, the, the Jews, and he chooses them to carry his name, to, glory, to take his glory into the other nations, to spread his name among them, that they would be different than the other nations around them, that they would trust God instead of their gods, that they would live under God's word and law, that they would be holy as God is holy. And so circumcision became this sign of God's commitment to them, of this covenant that he was making with them to be their God and that they would be his people. And so Paul says here, referring to the Jews, of which he was one, he calls them the so-called circumcision. An interesting term. The Jews sought to be justified. They sought to be accepted by God through mere works. And so that's why Paul is using this term. Because many of the Jews, as we see through the New Testament, looked at their physical acts 
what they did outwardly, opposed to the heart and it being changed as a way to be accepted by God. Instead of trusting God, instead of trusting Christ eventually, as Paul's context would be familiar with. And so what Paul is saying here, this so-called circumcision, hmm, is to refer to the worthlessness of this physical act as a guarantee of acceptance with God. And so he's speaking to the Gentiles. He's speaking to the Jews. And yes, they have differences. But as he said, they're more alike than they are different. They're created in the image of God. They are sinners. And so Paul says to them here, if you'll look at the text in verse 12, he says, remember Gentiles, you were once, before you came to Christ, separated from him. You're alienated, you're estranged from God, meaning you're spiritually dead. But not only that, he says in verse 12, you're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning you're not citizens of Israel, and therefore did not have the rights or the privileges of citizenship And so God, before he had restricted his working to, and in Israel, set the Jews apart. And why did he do that? To display who he was to the world. And so Paul says to the Gentiles, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, referring to the covenants of God made to his people, which were characterized by or based on the promises of God to be faithful to his people and to fulfill his word. And so in such a state, this is what the Gentiles, that's where they found themselves. And so what does Paul says at the end of verse 12 is that they were without hope. They were without God in the world. They didn't believe in God. They eventually didn't believe in the Messiah. And they were godless. This is where they found themselves. And so there was this difference between the two groups as well. And so look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace. We'll talk about that in a second. That he made both groups, talking about the Jews and Gentiles, into one, and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, the hatred between these two groups. And so there are those words, barrier, dividing wall. The two groups had hostility. And so the divide between these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, it was big, it was complicated, it was deep. First, it was very much religious, okay? And we've heard of that already. The Jews knew the one true God, and even as Paul's context, Christian Jews knew his son, the Messiah. And so then the divide was also cultural and social with lots of ceremonies, practices like circumcision, dietary regulations, rules, and um, cleanliness, and so on. And we see that even with Paul and Peter. Uh, These were all designed to set the Jews apart from the nations for a period of redemptive history to make clear the radical holiness of God. Then the divide not only was religious and social, but it also was racial. This was a bloodline going back to Jacob, not Esau. It was going back to Isaac, not Ishmael. It was going back to Abraham and not any other father. And so it was also racial. And so you had this hate. You had this conflict. 
Now, how bad was it? Now, listen to what William Barclay says. He says this, The Jew had great immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another mother, or excuse me, another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. We look at these two groups and the tension over time, and it is unlike any other. The religious, the cultural, social, and racial hostility and division. It was great. It was great. And so in the two groups, we see what? We see partiality and we see hate. And those two things are sinful. Partiality is sin. It's when we treat people unfairly, favoring one group over another. It doesn't reflect the justice of God. James chapter 2, verse 9 says, If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And this was present between the two groups. Not only that, hate. Everyone who hates is a murderer. Did you know that? And we see hate between these two groups. 1 John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is big, and I want you to listen to why. The hate between the Jews and the Gentiles was evident. But sadly, you and I, too, we can hate and sometimes not even realize we do. Hate doesn't always show itself with rage or physical murder, does it? No. And that's what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 5. That's what John has in mind in his letter. Hatred is murder of the heart because hatred looks at someone else or some other group and thinks this, I wish you weren't around. You are what's wrong with the world. That's what hate says in the heart. The world would be better without people like you. That's hate. And that's hate of the heart. And that hate sounds a lot like murder. And so what we see with the Jews and Gentiles is a picture of partiality. We see a picture of great hate. And we see that today in the form of racism. Racism is where someone has a feeling or belief or practice that values one race over other races or devalues one race beneath another, seeing them as lesser. We see it present in individuals. We see it present in groups. We also see the cumulative effects of such feelings, beliefs, and practices in what's called structural racism. It's all around us. And this is all because of sin. Where sin dwells, racism will be present. And not only because of sin, but because of the devil too, which is who? A murderer and a liar. And we also have an evil world system And the three of those things together, sin, devil, and the world system that's evil, all scheme together. 
And so we see the reality of partiality. We see the reality of hatred in our world. We see the reality of racism. But there's hope in the midst of all this. As a church, it shouldn't surprise us. We can't turn a blind eye to it. We can't ignore it. And Christ didn't either. Christ came to tear down walls. As we sung just a moment ago, the gospel, his blood, the cross, is for every moment, for every issue of life. And Christ came to tear down walls. And so how do we see that in this text? Look at verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who firmly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the cross of Christ, by his shed blood, those who were Gentiles, apart, separated from God, have now been brought into a relationship with him. By what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 4, or excuse me, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, God's great love in Jesus made us alive. Those who were dead, now alive in God's family forever. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it's all possible through what? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so what does Jesus do? He comes and tears down the walls between him and man. He tears down the walls between humans and God. And he brings them together. By his grace, through faith in him alone. And that's what his blood accomplished. But not only that, Jesus came and he teared down walls between peoples of the world. He didn't come and build them up. He came and he tore them down. In Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, it says, For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having been put to death the enmity. And so what does it say? Jesus is our peace. Where there's hostility, where there's strife, where there's hatred and partiality, Jesus comes in and he is peace. And you see, peace is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He brings sinners to peace with God. He brings peace to two different groups of people hostile toward one another. In spite of their differences, even their historical pasts, which are real and hurtful and painful with one another, Jesus brings both the Jew and the Gentile who have been redeemed by his blood into unity, removing the spiritual dividing wall, which is a barrier. And he brings them together. Brings them together. So how has Christ done this? Jesus does the work of removing and abolishing such hostility and strife and hate between Jews and Gentiles through his flesh. Again, by his work on the cross. And so what caused the strife between Jews and Gentiles is interesting, right? Look at verse, uh, what is it? Sorry, I got off. Verse 15. It says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commands contained in ordinances. So what, what was um, the strife between them? <clears throat> it says here it's the Mosaic law. You might be sitting here thinking, okay, hold on, pause a second. 
that was the strife between them? Yeah, yeah. And that's what Jesus abolishes in his flesh. Now, there should be a big question mark. You say like, okay, well, I don't get that. Can you explain that? Yes, I'll do that. And I'll do it with a gentleman by the name of Snodgrass. <laughs> you're thinking, what? It's his last name, all right? But be nice to him. He's a smart man, because listen to what he says, and he's right. I love how he explains this. It's just, he just makes it simple. I need simple. And so listen to what he says. He says, the law is not abolished as the word of God or as a moral guide. So we don't do away with it as that, right? Because Jesus came as a fulfillment of the law. But instead, what is abolished is the law as a set of regulation that excludes Gentiles. You with me? So the moral instruction of the law continues, but Paul won't tolerate no practice of the law that excludes Gentiles or forces them to become Jews. So you see that with Peter and Paul. You see that in the New Testament. And so what Paul, Paul is saying here is the law now must be applied and interpreted with Christ in mind. Okay? Because those that are Gentiles now become heirs with Christ, just as Jews who come to know Christ can become heirs with Christ as well. And so there's one heir. They all get to be part of one family. So the enmity and the hostility it causes has been removed by Jesus in his body through his work on the cross. So why did Christ do this? Well, it tells us here to create one new man. That's God's goal. Peter calls it to create one holy race. It's the church. It's the church. That's God's desire, is that all peoples of all nations, tribes, tongues, shades, you, you name it, would be part of the church. A new community where the differences of Jews and Gentiles are acknowledged and celebrated, where both groups are brought into unity, where they are no longer what they were before, but because of Christ, they've been changed. And so Paul, right here, he sees the world this way in three groups of people in the world, unbelieving Gentiles, unbelieving Jews, and the church. That's how he sees the world. He says that in 1 Corinthians 10.32, and that God desires for all peoples to be part of the church, the chosen race. Second, we see here that Paul says Christ reconciles both in one body. He brings reconciliation. Christ has put death, the enmity, both vertically between man and God and horizontally between Jew and Gentile, so they would be what? Reconciled to him and to one new body, the church. That's his goal. And what's the remedy? What, what did this? What brings this? Ephesians 2.17, he says this, he, he came, Jesus did, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And so this is the message that Jesus came and preached and proclaimed. 
the gospel of peace to the Jews who were far off, to the Gentiles who were far off as well. And so the message of peace was preached through Jesus. Now you might say, well, where? When did that happen? Through his incarnation, through his earthly ministry, through the cross, through the resurrection, through his post-resurrection appearances. He was speaking, peace be with you to the world. His presence was speaking, peace to a world. There was a strife and enmity. The proclamation of peace went through the apostles, through the early church, by means of the Spirit. And this is also the message of peace and reconciliation that, like Jesus proclaimed, you and I are to proclaim. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 20 tells us that, that you and I are to be ambassadors, that we have been reconciled with God, and we're to be messengers of that reconciliation that Paul is talking about. And so as a result of the work of Christ, there is access in one spirit to the Father. Not only as individuals do they have access to the presence of God, but now as a new humanity, a new people, they can come into the presence of God with old differences. No longer as a barrier, they are given access into the Holy Spirit, to the presence of God the Father. And so what has happened? We've gone from Babel, right, to Pentecost. That's what's happened. And that's God's goal. That we, through Christ, would no longer be separated with God or with others. And that's what happened when the Holy Spirit came. Lastly, look at this in verse 19 through 22. He says, so then, you're no longer strangers. He's talking to the Gentiles. This is pretty cool because remember verse 11 and 12? This is who you were. But listen now, you're no longer strangers, and you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, he holds this whole thing together, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you are also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So what's he saying? Jesus crushes down the wall, the barrier, he does away with it completely. And he does away with the hostility. No longer are the Gentiles homeless, nor second-class citizens in someone else's kingdom or homeland. They are now, through Christ, fellow citizens. They were once not in the family of God, but now they're of God's household, redeemed Gentiles, redeemed Jews, children, together, brothers and sisters. And that's what Jesus does. They are now a holy temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. This is the church. This is the new community of both redeemed Jews, redeemed Gentiles, and this is God's aim to create a new people in Christ who are reconciled to each other across racial and ethnic lines, and he does that through the cross. That's what he does. And so it leads me to close with, with this. In light of that, in light of that, how do you and I as the body of Christ, how do you and I pursue racial harmony? What do we do as the church? How do we respond to racism that, that's a reality? What do we do? Here's what I think you, we've got to do is you and I have to pursue the mind of Christ. That's the answer. You, you've got to pursue the mind of Christ. If you want racial harmony, which the gospel says, yes, you do. And if you don't, it's sin. 
And so how do you do that? You pursue the mind of Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been created in Christ Jesus. We're a new creation. We're to have a new mind. We're to have the mind of Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. So what does that mean? We think differently. We think differently than we did before. Maybe in the past we had different thoughts and feelings and thoughts about different people based on their shade, based on their skin, based on their ethnicity, based on where they're from, based on their level of income. You name it. There's many different reasons of partiality and hatred. But now, because we're in Christ, we think differently. It might have been something, the way our parents raised us. But we don't think that way any longer. We think differently. We have a different attitude than we may have had before about all peoples of the world. Instead of not caring, we care. Oh, we care. We care big time. And that's what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, this is what this looks like, church. This is what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. We do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's where it begins. Do not merely... Look out for your own personal interest. I think one of the reasons we see it, things get heated up in our culture and our nation today, is there is a presence of entitlement that rises up for many different reasons, and it affects racism too. And I, and I see it still. And one of the reasons is because we must not merely look out for our own personal interests, but we must view ourselves as less important. Or excuse me, we must view other, uh, others as more important than ourselves. But also, he says right here, we must look out for the interest of others. That's your goal every day. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's our target. That's our goal. So humility and servanthood, according to Paul, replaces pride and selfishness. Generosity replaces greed. Peace replaces fear. And love replaces lust. That's what Paul says you've got to pursue. Because that's what Jesus came to do. And when he came to take his life and laid it down, to take down the walls between him and humanity, so that we could know him and have a relationship with him, but horizontally, that the walls of hate, for whatever reason, would be taken down as well. And we would view people as more important than ourselves. And their needs and interest mean something to us, so much that we do something about it. So here's some practical exhortations that I would just love for you to say, okay, yeah, this is how we need to respond. First of all, as a church, you might, you might say, well, this is a little interesting, but, but I think you have to be simple. You have to be practical. First of all, you've got to welcome newcomers every week. You've got to welcome people as they come in. Make a weekly aim to welcome someone new that you don't know. Talk to the people you don't know. Second, invite people of different ethnic backgrounds to this church with you. Be practical. Do that. Third, think about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ 
based on what you hear today and what does it mean for you personally in your own life. That may mean, number four, that we need to confess partiality, hate, or racism that maybe we've practiced or we have in our heart or our mind. We need to confess it. Fifth and lastly, pray that you would continue to grow in thinking and having an attitude like Jesus Christ as one who has the mind of Christ so you would have more wisdom and that you would be sensitive to people. And so today, church, I want to encourage you. Remember what Christ came to do. He came down to tear down the barriers, all the barriers between him and God. And he, Jesus shed his blood for you because he loves you. And he came to sh- tear down the barriers and the great divides between peoples in this world. And he did it through his life that we would all come to know Christ no matter where we're from, no matter what we look like. He called us to be witnesses to the nations. That even means here in our own community so that they would know the peace of God and that we would be his church together. So pursue the mind of Christ. Let me pray.